Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the show, you could always email me, contact me. I have all kinds of contact links in the description of the show. You could also call the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. I have done several shows in the past talking about Colorado's Department of Transportation And how it's really changed and morphed from an agency that took care of roads and bridges and had safety campaigns into an agency that is now more about promoting certain kinds of movement, certain types of vehicles, and now even development. This has happened over the past few years, ever since Governor Jared Polis appointed Shoshana Liu to be the executive director of the agency. Now, Miss Liu previously had very little experience in transportation, no experience in leading a state transportation agency, but here we are. There is also something in Colorado called the Colorado Transportation Commission. Other states have a similar group. And what they are supposed to do is they're supposed to be an overseer of our Department of Transportation, but that agency, too, or maybe group, maybe they're not an agency, maybe that I should say the commission is full of appointees from Governor Jared Polis. This brings me to an article written for the website called Complete Colorado, and the article was written by Joshua Scharf, and it's titled Commission Turns CDOT into Colorado's Urban Planner. So I wanted to talk more about this because it's really intriguing how the agency has changed and morphed from what it used to be to what it is now. So joining me now is the author of that article, Joshua Scharf. Joshua is a senior fellow in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute in Denver. Joshua, thank you so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you very much, Jason. It is a, it's a real pleasure. I, uh, I went back and, for uh, due diligence, went back and listened to a couple of the, couple of the episodes, and, and I, I really admire the work you do here, and, and you have absolutely bar none the best bumper music of any podcast <laughs> that, I've, that I've heard. Well, perfect. Well, th- <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate that. Your article is fascinating as it details many of the problems and the overreaches by our Department of Transportation. And I want to start with the first sentence of your article. It says, over the last few years, the Colorado Department of Transportation has had a a habit of playing fast and loose with the taxpayers' money and setting their own priorities regardless of what those Coloradans might be. First, would you please explain more about why you say CDOT is playing fast and loose with taxpayer money before we get into the issues of where they want us all to live. Yeah, I, that's you know it sort of goes to the basic competence of the organization. Are they able to do what it is that they are tasked to do in the first place, and what people expect them to do in the first place? And and the answer appears to be maybe you know maybe not so much. Uh, there was a 2019 audit, and I, I mentioned this I mentioned this a little bit later on in the article that that when when you compare budget to actuals. So you're you're comparing what's in the budget and then assigning uh, every receipt that comes back from what they spent money on to an, to an actual to a line item in that budget. Uh, then you have about 1.3 billion dollars over I, I think it was over a decade or so that that can't be accounted for. 
that they can't put against a line item and that it's unclear exactly how that was spent and why it was spent and what decisions went into to, 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 to that line item. And it's just sort of basic stuff. I mean, you're, this is a, this is a, a, a significant amount of money in a significant part of the state government. I mean, in, in terms of what their budget is and, and how much they oversee. And it's, I, I mean, to me, that's basically irresponsible. Is that, audit issue so troubling because they are shifting money from, let's say, a promised project or diverting money to pet projects or maybe selecting favorite contractors for specific projects? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard to, t- I mean, it could be all of those things. I mean, they're basically what it, it's hard to tell because when you can't, uh, when, when you can't make that, that assignment, what ends up happening is that you, uh, you then don't understand the reasons behind it. So there's not, it's not like there's a paper trail. This is well, the reason that we're doing this is because, you know, X, so you end up not having that justification as well. That's also part of a part of that kind of analysis. If you have a line item that you can't find, you could go back and say, okay, well, what was the decision behind this? What was the, the rationale for the decision behind this? And they, they uh, were unable to, to, to come up with those. However, there was an additional problem and you 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 hint at that in terms of favoritism that there may have been an, uh, a certain amount of favoritism to an out-of-state contractor on one of the projects that uh, that that was not supposed to be that was supposed to go to uh you know to, the, all things being equal was supposed to go to an in-state contractor and and instead uh, uh ended up going to uh, going to an out-of-state contractor and there may have been and i want to stress may have been uh, some favoritism involved there in terms of uh, in terms of how that happens. So that's that's kind of one of the things that can happen when you lose track of why you're spending the money that you're spending. And, and there's been you're talking about Kiwit Construction, who just built a big brand new uh, headquarters down in Lone Tree, right off of I-25. They also were instrumental. They are building right now the Central Seventy Project, which is a project worth over a billion dollars to the company, as they're going to have some managed lanes in there, and they've built a couple of new tunnels. It's a massive project on the north side of downtown Denver. And they were also instrumental in building out the big south side Metro Denver project years and years, what, 15, 20 years ago, uh, called T-Rex, which included a highway widening uh, of I-25, 225, as well as putting in the light rail down to the southeast corridor, as well as parts of 225. So CDOT and Kiwit have had a relationship uh, for many, many years. Is it Kiwit or Kramer? Kiwit. So I was, I, I thought well, Kiewit I was is the, the Kiwit is the main um, contractor. Okay. Okay. I guess Kramer may be the, maybe the parent company then or, yeah. or something. Um, but there's a, yeah, I, you know, you, and, and, and these are, you know, like you say, these are substantive projects. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I will reveal my bias to all of your listeners right here, which is, I think, I think the, the I-70 on the north side, on the north side of, of town, since I moved here in 97, uh, has been, you know, has been kind of a mess and it's good to see it get it, get some extra lanes, get some, some extra, you know, not, not to have, have the, um, uh, have the, the highway the, falling the merges, down. <laughs> the, well, not have that. Yeah. That's also that, 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 that would also be nice. Um, but also, you know, sort of having some, uh, being able to go with the underpasses and have some smoothing in terms of being, you know, that, that leads to a little easier in, ingress and egress to the highway itself. And then it also, uh, seems to be in, in, I know there's been some complaints in terms of the neighborhoods there, but that's a very old, old issue when, when, when I-70 was first laid, uh, was first put through there. And it, it also seems to, uh, you know, seems to allow for some easier transit over I-70 from one side to the other. So, 
so to me, to my, you know, so I'm, I'm in favor of that in general. I, I and I want to just let people know that, but, but, uh, but that doesn't have anything to do with how the contract was, you know, <laughs> was, was given. And if, and, and I don't want my money wasted on it. Right. Uh, I'm speaking to Joshua Scharf. He's a senior fellow in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute in Denver. We're talking about his article in Complete Colorado called Commission Turn CDOT into Colorado's Urban Planner. I- is there any diversity of thought? We were talking about the Transportation Commission. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second as well. But is there any diversity of thought with the commission, with the people who are on the commission, to look at the state agency CDOT and the executive director Shoshana Liu and 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 say uh, we want this, we want that, and, and and have some diversity in conversation, or are they all pretty much just an agreement of whatever the governor thinks? That's how it's going to go. Well, I don't, I don't think they would say that they're puppets of the governor, but I think the governor probably you know is picking people who are who who see how he who see how he sees. I think one of the one of the sort of sleights of hand that goes on here uh, that the that the bill was intended to address, and we'll come back to that in a second, uh, was that while there is considerable geographical diversity, there is virtually no ideological diversity. And so the bill that uh, and Ray Scott's bill was it Ray Scott right um, uh, his bill that would have uh, uh, that would have made this an elected position uh, by congressional districts, and then you would have had uh, it was interesting the way they would have done a. Uh, uh, an at-large seat. So it, in years where there is an even number of congressional districts as we have coming up, then there would have been one at-large seat in order to maintain an odd number of seats on the on the of ties. Uh, and then if if we were at some point to get another congressional district, then that would add another at-large seat. So you'd have either two or one to make sure that you had an, uh, an odd number of seats. But uh, the um, uh, but but it would have been done by congressional district, and so you would have ended up with with a certain amount of geographical diversity. The argument that was made, it was an interesting argument, was that uh, what we have in terms of geographical diversity now could very well be greater than what you would get with the congressional districts, just because of the way the districts are drawn. But that doesn't change the fact that what really matters is is how people think. They're more likely to think from a rural point of view if they come from a from a rural area or or let's say a suburban point of view. They come from some, some from a suburban area, and so, but but you could in theory right now if uh, uh, if that were to be a problem, the governor could you know when when someone's term is up, uh, replace them with. Uh, there's no reason in theory right now that all all of them couldn't be from you know urban to suburban Denver, and and be made and and they tend to make decisions anyway as it is. That are very Denver centric, which is which is kind of a mess for the rest of the state. Now. And maybe that's one of the issues because you write in uh, that this past December, the Transportation Commission approved a new rule that would basically require the state Department of Transportation and the state's five metropolitan planning organizations that uh, help plan different projects around the you know the, the metro area as well as uh, along the Front Range to measure the climate impact of planned projects and offset them if they exceed a given amount, basically meaning that with every roadway improvement, they're also trying to incentivize more transit and maybe create more transit-oriented developments around that transit. Yeah, and that's the, that's the title of the article, where they sort of turn themselves into the state's urban planner. Uh, the way that, because, they, uh, because CDOT has control over what projects get approved, uh, has or, or its own purse strings, you know what what it will fund, and and also what it will help in terms of uh, in terms of, of of you know 
permits and so forth to for 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 use um they have considerable you know power over over what the you know what the transportation grid looks like and the way that so but they can't just arbitrarily say at least in theory they can't just arbitrarily say well we like this and we don't like that so what they have to do is they have to publish a rule uh they have to publish rules that sort of rules with a capital r that's a technical term uh that that describe the elements that go into the decision making process and so that will inform local or regional or or like uh, or, or district governments uh, what factors they should take into account when they're doing their own planning uh, and so that actually makes some sense right i mean you don't want this stuff to be completely arbitrary but what they did was that they went back and they have the ability to alter that rule and so what they to 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 change the things that they take into account and so what they did was they rewrote this in in December to include things like density, specifically saying you know that we, we we're going to encourage uh, we're going to encourage density, greater density, uh, and and development zones and so forth. Uh, we're going to have this climate climate effect, climate impact uh, assessment and so forth that needs to be offset by other things. And I think this goes far beyond the idea that they're maintaining and planning roads and highways and bridges. And now I guess we voted for this, you know, to at least look at this you know, commuter rail thing. Although that may have its own, that may have its own authority. CDOT is still going to have to work with them. And so what they've done is they vastly expanded the kinds of things that they'll take into account. And by doing so, in essence, turn themselves into the planner for the state. Right? Because if you're not going to be able to get roads built in a certain place, then it's unlikely that you're going to greenlight development outside of a certain place. If you're going to have to take into account, um, directly take into account uh, uh, climate impact, which I think is a difficult and extraordinarily difficult thing to quantify. Uh, if, you're, if, if you have to take that into account and then build other transit along with that, then not only does it raise the price directly, but it raises the price indirectly because now you've got this other this other thing that you have to build uh, that that people may or may not use uh, in order to in order to get your your road greenlit. I, I did a story recently about all the development that's happening. We're we're looking for more housing around Metro Denver because there's so many people moving here and they they need more housing. Well, one place they have open land is in Extreme Adams and Arapahoe counties way out east. Arapahoe County goes well out east of Deer Trail. I mean, it's it, it's a really long county, and there's a lot of available land out there. But you're not going to have somebody who's living 30 or 40 miles outside of the urban center riding their bike into the Denver Tech Center or downtown Denver. That's just not, they're not going to do that. And, and the transportation planners in Arapahoe County admitted to me that they aren't going to see people on bikes, and so they have to build roads. But what they're trying to do is then incentivize business uh, to mix housing and transit and work all in the same spot. So you're really trying to, as, as you've been describing, the Department of Transportation and even on more local levels, they're trying to change how development really is created in the future for how we're going to get around. I'm not sure that that doesn't happen naturally anyway. I mean, I think that that as things extend out, then you tend to see jobs uh moving moving away from the city center in fact one of the one of the biggest problems that denver has had to deal with and that a lot of cities have had to deal with is that as the metro areas spread out and you get you know what we lovingly call sprawl but as these things spread out then jobs also move out there's no particular reason for downtown denver to be it will always be the largest 
but there's no particular reason for it to be the 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 ultimate destination for the majority of of of, of the area's commuters. So you'll see, you know, roads moving around. You'll you'll, you'll see roads um, that should be bypassing rather than going in and out. People sort of are fixed in this idea that. Uh, that that the bulk of work is going to be downtown, and so the overwhelming problem is how to get people downtown and out of downtown. And if that were true, then the light rail wouldn't be empty for for so much of of what it is, right? I mean, you would have because it's built in essence to get people right now. It's built in essence to get people into Union Station, out of Union Station, and yet those trains are are substantially empty for 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 even for parts of rush hour. You don't see people on them. So the, that that says that commuting patterns are not conforming to what the planners think they should be and so what the planners are going to do is force people into the into their preferred commuting patterns uh, and so that then they can uh, we'll gently say encouraged to take um to take those kinds of uh, you know alternate rather than being in their car take other stuff take take light rail or whatnot um but but people have already voted on this and and i don't mean formally in the ballot box you know we approve light rail but they vote on this every day when they take when they choose their cars over light rail when they choose their cars over what and 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 when people say transit that often includes stuff that um doesn't really move very many people you're talking about stuff getting around downtown like scooters or you know this this uh bus that's going to take a lane of tra- this uh rapid bus that's going to take a lane of traffic away from colfax one of the biggest surface streets in denver they're going to take a lane of traffic away from that in order to put people on this bus mm-hmm. um and and then at the same time, they're now talking about how that's going to have bad effects on the on the east west streets around that. And so what we need to do is you know discourage people from driving on those. So you know I, I think that there's a um, and we all sort of know that they don't for whatever reason cars are, are are aesthetically unpleasing to certain people. But but they're how people want to get around. We love our cars. We would rather sit in our cars in traffic. Then sit on a light rail, you know, and, and with all of its attendant inconveniences. And 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 here's where I want to go with, if if I can, if I can sort of keep going here for a second, to to one of your episodes, to the episode with Drew Meehan uh, that you had uh, uh, from Tom Tom. Um, a lot of the solutions that he talks about, or the, or come rather rather solutions to this problem, come from technology that he talks about. And I've mentioned this before on other interviews when. When people say they like the idea of a light rail, it's not or or sitting on the train to get into work if they have a long commute. It's not nostalgia for living, you know, on in Great Neck and commuting into Manhattan, right? It's this idea that they can go and they can either be dropped off or park their car or whatever, and then you know read the paper and not have to sit there and 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 engage in in you know mano a mano combat for this piece of the of of, of the of the traffic lane in front of them for for an hour before they get into the office and then do it again at the end of the day. So it's this idea they can kind of unwind a little bit going in and unwind a little bit coming out, maybe get some other work done, maybe think about it, take a, take a nap, you know, whatever. Um, And, and not have that, that, that urgency. And so you arrive at the office feeling like a wet dish rag and, and, and there, but there are things you can do outside of that. And, and so, but what they don't want, okay, is then, to have to drive to the train station and find parking and and then they can only carry so much and then they get into work and then they have to take another you know they have to do something else to get to their office so it ends up basically the light rail because it's very inflexible and and not so many not so many routes 
you, it goes as a friend of mine says, from where from where you aren't to where you don't want to be, and 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 so you have to you have to fill in that gap at each end. Uh, if you could do this with, uh, and then and then you lose the flexibility at the end of the day. Right? So if you have an errand to run, or you have to pick up the kids from soccer, or you have to do whatever it is you have to do, um, you don't have the car with you. So then you have to get home to get the car, and then go do the other thing. So now you now now at the other end, you've added a lot of that stress back in. So I think when people have this image of what they want out of a light rail, that's where something like self-driving cars, even if it's only on the highway, can can solve so much of that once people have confidence that their car isn't gonna, you know, isn't gonna end up in a wreck because of it. And and they can go and they can do their thing and they can, you know, pay less attention, pay no attention once we get to the point that most of the people have these. And and it really changes the it really changes your whole mindset getting into an outdoor. So I think the technology that's coming can solve a lot of these things. What it doesn't require is a massive central planning agency telling people that they have to live in apartments rather than single family homes, which is where this ends up leading. Because it almost seems now when I've talked to people in Denver and with the Department of Transportation, as you said, they are incentivizing one form of transportation, a bus rapid transit down Colfax or bike lanes or whatever, and it takes away from other travel lanes that actually can move more traffic. I never understood why they have a bike lane on Broadway when that's a major river for traffic and don't put the bike lane on a secondary street that's a block or two over that would be safer for the bicyclists and easy for them to get around, and and there really isn't that much traffic. And then I I was talking to another transportation planner who said that it's, it's basically a war on cars in especially the urban core of not only Denver, but any big city, Nashville, Cincinnati, uh, any big city, that they want people to not drive into the main corridor and the main area. They want them to park outside, use any kind of transit to get into these cities. So make it as uncomfortable as they can to drive singly, especially, into an urban core so you're being forced to take some kind of transit. No, I think that's exactly right. I think there's a general disdain for cars among some of the, among the, the current sort of planning class, if you will. Uh, and, and I think part of that is because they don't require the, 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 the sort of, they're hard to control, right? So people sort of do what they want once they get in the car, and then you have to react to that. Whereas if you are encouraging people to take the train where you set the schedule and you set the ro- route and you decide when it runs and how often it runs and then they kind of have to conform to you. Well, of course, that makes life easier on the planner, but it makes life harder on everybody else. Yeah. And and I want to go back to, to one other thing that I touched on there. That this has it does have the effect on how people live in terms of what kind of housing is available. You know, they're encouraging density. They're encouraging. Dr. Cog has this uh, the Denver Regional Council of Governments um, uh, for the for the uninitiated, uh, abbreviated to DRCOG or Dr. Cog. Uh, has a, um, a general sort of master plan for the for the seven for the seven county area, and that includes encouraging development where there's already development, as opposed to encouraging development where which would be new outside. Which is why the western parts of Arapahoe and Adams County are are, are sort of so hard to build in, right? Because of that. Uh, and then what this does is this limits, by definition, there's only so much land. It limits the ability to build single-family homes, which honestly are what people want to graduate into. Most people, not everyone, most people 
eventually want a piece of land on their own and a house that's, you know, away from the neighbors and they don't have to listen to the other guy's stereo and, and all the rest of it. And, and they want a piece of, of, of land that's their own and a house that's their own and a yard where they can raise some kids. That's what most people want. Now, they don't all want it at the same time, but, but you know, you have a growing area. You have to, you have to accommodate that somehow. And if you force people into, into apartments and you don't build that kind of housing, then you get, uh, you, you get uh, even in the absence of people moving in, you get sort of this, this you know, it's like a traffic backup. People, there, there's no supply of new single family homes. So people are stuck in the townhouses. They can't move out of the townhouses. They're stuck in their apartments or condos. And so rents go up and, 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 you know, and the price of housing goes up and all the rest of it. And it creates what you are beginning to see now, which is an increasing inequality in the quality of life. People get stuck in apartments or condos and they can't get out of them because they can never save enough to go buy this, this, this house whose price keeps going up. You know, it's interesting that uh, we were talking about some money spent by the transportation department just a bit ago. It, it was, and I was thinking about this. We talked about a little bit earlier how Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was here in town in Colorado talking about a $700 million project to fit, fix part of I-70 uh, going just up into the mountains west of, of Denver. But interestingly, mm-hmm. as part of the I-70 improvements, CDOT mentioned this new small bus service. And they're they're calling it now Pegasus from Bustang. So it's Pegasus. And they're buying 10 vans at $125,000 each. They're budgeting minimum fare box recovery of just 20%, hopefully up to 40%. So that means they're only expecting to ask riders to pay for about $250,000 to $320,000 for rides on a service that will cost the Department of Transportation will be basically costing a million dollars of taxpayer money. That just seems like a bad deal. Well, it, it, it is a bad deal. And, and, and here's the, and, and so, so these are, uh, and I hadn't seen this. So are, uh, I'll ask you, are these like, you know, minivan, uh, not minivans, but are these like the, the, they're like the, 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 the little um, mini buses? They're or like the, the you know, like, you know, like those, the... those, uh, uh, Mercedes transit vans kind of things, you know, a van that would carry maybe 15 or so people. So they're not even real buses. No, no, I mean, no, no. They're, they're, you know, they're okay. maybe a glorified no. airport shuttle. If we're going to spend money on, on transit, if we're going to spend money on transit, then I think buses are not a bad way to do it. It sounds to me like, you know, this is a, that this is maybe a little more heavily subsidized than, than, than I would like it to be, but it's also, what also ends up happening, of course, it'll probably use the, the, you know, the express lane yes, too. For that, whatever. Exactly so, they are. so, so it'll have that, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's, that's the worst, you know, the worst idea. It's better than the monorail yes. idea, which oh, got totally. floated, uh, which was a terrible idea, but you know, there's a, uh, I, I part of the reason that I like, and, and again, speaking generally without speaking to this particular project, because I just don't know enough details of it. Uh, I tend to think that buses are far preferable to, to light rail, uh, certainly far re- preferable to things like, you know, scooters or um, whatnot. That we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how to make those work. I'm not anti-scooter. People who like scooters, <laughs> that's fine. But but you know, I mean, it's a but but it seems to take up. A, people seem to think that that qualifies as transit, 
and and it doesn't you know it moves it moves somebody a few blocks it doesn't it doesn't get them from you know from from buyers into into denver and so but in terms of like urban transportation or or metro area transportation part of the reason that i like buses uh far far more than light rail is that they are more flexible uh they are uh, they tend to be cheaper on a per ride basis and they certainly tend to be cheaper on a per unit basis uh, you don't have to buy land to you don't have to buy rights of way you don't have to buy land to put the thing down you don't have to build a an accompanying station everywhere uh, along that you don't have to lay rail that then requires maintenance in and of itself uh, and and so you know if if we're if we're going to do that i would like to see more of the of those resources put into buses rather than put into light rail um, and then you run into another problem, which is, you know, no doubt how this thing gets sold, how th- that you're describing gets sold, which is people sell light rail or the commuter rail that they're that they that, that that got voted on um, as well. You know, we need to get people off the roads, and people hear that. Politicians say that, and they may mean whatever they mean they mean, but people hear that. And they hear, oh, good, we're going to spend all this money on the commuter rail and the light rail so that somebody else can take it so that I can drive more easily. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you're not getting anybody off the road that way because it's not worth it. Nobody's building it so they can use it. They're building it so somebody else can use it. Everybody, everybody's doing that. Then, you know, you don't take tra- – and, and by the way, the commuter rail that was approved uh, is going to take really just a minuscule number of cars off the road. It just a minute. It's like something like you know, even at projections, it would be some tiny, tiny number of cars. But but my complaint in the article in particular was that you know CDOT doesn't really have any business worrying about what the density of the front range ought to look like. It doesn't have any business worrying, you know, trying to to favor one kind over another for for climate purposes. Because that's almost, again almost impossible to quantify in a real way. There are, and 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 again, they tend to put their thumb on the scale, right? Because the construction on the road doesn't tend to, you know, tends not to make it into these into these assessments. Um, there are, and and it's not it's just not CDOT's business to turn itself into 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 this this overall sort of large scale urban planning organization for 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 the state. And you can read Joshua Scharf's article, uh, Incomplete Colorado. Actually, there's a link in the description of this episode. It's called Commission Turned CDOT into Colorado's Urban Planner. And it is Joshua Scharf, who's a senior fellow in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute in Denver, who we're speaking with right now. You know, there's so many other points I want to go. You mentioned uh, we were just talking about those shuttle buses. It's it's funny because uh, over the last weekend or so, uh, my my wife and I, two kids, we went up to I-70 uh, to go skiing on a Friday and a Sunday. <laughs> I know it's my I never do that. I haven't done that for years. I had the time off because it was President's Day weekend, and I thought, all right, it can't be that bad. And and a little part of me wanted to go drive it just to see how bad it was. Well, it was obviously awful. And their idea is that, or at least there's the thinking, in a regular weekday commute, Monday through Friday around a, a metropolitan area, it's usually single occupancy per, per persons and one person in their own car. But on mm-hmm. I-70, I think, it, at least from what I saw, it was well over 80, 85% of the vehicles that I saw had multiple people in the car, up to three, four, five people in the car. So it's not single occupancy issue. They want to say, well, we'll put everybody in a 15-passenger shuttle van or we'll put them into a 55-passenger bus. 
But it, it's not an issue of single occupancy people clogging the roadways. It's just not enough lanes for all the people that want to go do all the recreation up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually got stuck in that coming back yesterday. I just took a drive up to uh, up to Breckenridge just for fun. And I noticed the same thing. And the reason is that skiing is a social activity. Skiing is not, you know, you don't generally say to your buddy who lives next door, um, hey, you know, it's not, it's not like meeting at the bar after work where you're coming from your office and I'm coming from my office. It's, it, you know, you're, you're, you're talking to your friend. You say, yeah, I'll swing by and I'll pick you up and we'll go skiing. It's not, well, I'll meet you at the lifts. You know, most people don't do that. And so, so you're right. It's, it's already multiple occupancy. Uh, I, th I think one of the, one of the issues that you see is going through the, and, and listen, I mean, we just passed this enormous without, without getting in too much into national politics, but we, we just passed this enormous so-called infrastructure bill. And yet none of our, neither of our senators, none of our, none of our statewide officers said, you know, gee, maybe we ought to make a pitch to, to widen the tunnels going through, you know, widen the Eisenhower and Johnson tunnels, because, Right now, that's a choke point, and and it forces the it forces the traffic down to two lanes when it's three lanes before it comes in, and so of course you end up with you end up with traffic jams or or, or widen it to three lanes going to uh, you know going all the way to Idaho Springs so we don't have this problem, uh, and 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 nobody nobody wanted to make that a priority. I didn't see any any discussion of that being a priority. I didn't see anybody saying you know we're really going to push for this even if we don't get it. This is supposed to be our once in a lifetime opportunity to. To, to you know until the next time uh, upgrade the uh, upgrade the infrastructure here and that's the probably if somebody if somebody said what's the one thing we need to do that would certainly that would certainly make it into most people's top three I just said one thing but if you sort of take a poll and ask people that would certainly make it into the into into the top you know in the, in the top top list of, of things that need to get done because everybody sits in that sure. Sure. And I always thought that maybe right next to the Moffat Tunnel, um, there should be, because just on the other side of the Moffat Tunnel is Winter Park and Grand mm -hmm. County, where a lot of people go up there for not only winter recreation, but also summer recreation. A lot of people go up to Grand Lake and Rocky Mountain National Park. You have the mm -hmm. tunnels. If you built a tunnel, like right next to the uh, train tunnel right there at uh, Moffat, west of Nederland, then mm -hmm. you have alleviated all the all that traffic that would usually take you as 40 over Berthet Pass off of I-70, and you could relieve a lot of that congestion just by that move right there. No, that's true, and and you know it's not really. I think part of the part of the reason that doesn't happen is because right now, because there's not so much traffic that uses that. There's this sense that it's kind of remote and and it's a nice drive, and 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 you sort of don't want to. Then you're going to make that a through point. You're going to increase the traffic, but you can do it in such a way that it doesn't. Uh, I mean, there's a a lot of that land. Is is national forest or or it, it is is uh, sort of federally owned land? You can do that in such a way that it doesn't bleed over into the surrounding into the surrounding countryside. So it's just that road that's then taking people taking people as a bypass. Um, you you could almost certainly do something like that without you know without without making things you know without degrading the quality of the of the. Uh, of, of the, the the great outdoors you know and which we all love i mean i'm not that's why i moved out here so yeah. i've got you know this is not a this is not a you know me being condescending about this that's why i'm out here uh and and so you can you could probably do something like that without without making without degrading the quality of that around it um could you you know i mean there's this idea i guess most of the people using the you in that traffic jam on i-70 on a sunday are coming back 
from a specific, you know, coming back from one of the ski areas. I, it seems to me that there just ought to be, you know, that, that it, it ought not be impossible to, if, if what people are doing is going from, from point A to those specific spots, it ought not be impossible to arrange some kind of, you know, I mean, I, I think most people, I would think if they could get to their car immediately on the other end, probably wouldn't probably would, wouldn't mind just sitting on a bus rather than, you know, fighting the traffic themselves. But that's only five months out of the year. Then there's seven more months of summertime activity where you're taking your motorcycles, or your RVs, or um, you're just going to go hiking up by, you know, some kind of wilderness area where you can't get there on a bus. You're going to need your car, your four-wheel drive, whatever, to get to these more remote areas because there's a lot more recreation in the summer than there actually is in the winter. You're, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And you still have the problem on Sunday afternoon. And it's because people, you're absolutely right. Um, you don't have those points. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't solve that problem. That's, that's absolutely right. How much do you think or believe that the current executive director of at CDOT is at the root of this development issue? Because prior to coming to Colorado, Shoshana served as you know, the chief operating officer for Rhode Island's Department of Transportation. She was a financial officer uh, and assistant secretary for budget and programs at the U.S. Department of Transportation. She's worked in other areas of the federal government. She's she, she's a graduate of Harvard with a bachelor's degree in history, and then she got a uh, went to Northwestern and got a master's in history. So, what what kind of qualifications do you think she has to run a transportation department? And do you think that maybe she is at the root of of where this development uh, idea is coming from from the Department of Transportation? Um. You know, I I will state up front that I have been less than impressed with how she has, in general, managed the department. Uh, I do think that she is she she has certainly, in terms of where the department wants to go, uh, in terms of where you know, aside from the commissioners, where she where what 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 she her imprint on this uh, and on the the ideology behind it of of sort of feeding the feeding the suburbs into the city making them dependent increasing densification a concern with climate and so forth those are all absolutely things that she is 100% on board with and there's no question that when you have a director who has an ideology uh, it will it will feed down into the rest of the it will feed down into the rest of the government um, one of the and one of the problems that, that this runs into and people people for obvious reasons um, don't spend most people, I should say, you know, thank goodness, don't spend their lives thinking about this stuff. Right. So what happens is somebody builds something or somebody, you know, puts up a new rule or they put up this traffic calming stuff in, in the middle of a busy street or they whatnot, they make it harder for you to drive and you get, you get angry. And, and the problem and governments are extremely good at delegating blame to other pieces of the government. Um, this just adds with the, the the rule change just adds another layer where dr cog or the city of denver or your local you know or, or, or rtd or whoever can point and say well you know we would love to do that but we have these people you know telling us that we can't we would love to do this 
but you know we we have a rule that says that we that we can't do that and then if you go up to them and they'll say well you know listen i mean it's not our rule look at your city they're the ones who are ultimately responsible and so so governments love to be able to say that they ultimately aren't responsible well when you have the federal government basing funding on this on this idea and the state government basing it on this idea and the city and and then the city and the local governments going along with that as well not necessarily because they're forced to but because in the case of Denver you have a very progressive city council who also buys into this and also by the way sees a chance to to get money back into its coffers from the suburbs um there's a you know that then then you can't undo any one of them and undo the problem uh, and 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 i think one of the reasons that people ought to be ought to be upset about this is that if they want to change if they want to change how this is done if they want to not have cdot be this be the, the the urban planner for the state then right now under the system as it is you have to elect a new governor and then you have to have new commissioners then the commissioners have to change the rule and then decisions that were made under the old rule have to be revisited and then new decisions have to be and so so there's this this long pipeline all during which all the other pieces that are in place continue to chug along you know making your life worse taking your money to make your life worse what do you think is next for cdot as i'm talking with joshua sharf senior fellow at the in fiscal policy at the Independence Institute in Denver. His article in Complete Colorado called uh, Commission Turns CDOT into Colorado's Urban Planner. That link is in the description of this episode. But what do you think is next for CDOT? More of the same? Gets worse? Or are, are is there any hope of it getting better? Well, you know, I mean, I realize that as a conservative, I'm supposed to be congenitally pessimistic. <laughs> You know that was the that was that was Bob Novak, you know, the Prince of Darkness, and you're just always every, everything's going to hell, and we're not going to change it. <laughs> but I, 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 but I do think there is some reason for pessimism here. Uh, the if if we decide that we want to change this, uh, the process for doing so is is somewhat arduous, and there are a lot of forces working against it. Uh, I, I, my fear is that it's sort of locked into this ideology and locked into, and then it seeps down into the rules and the lower level regulations that become very hard to, 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 to weed out. And, and with all due respect to people who choose a life in, in government, who, who legitimately are, you know, are, are trying to do the right thing. There is a, a sense that what you're doing, that the rule that, 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 you know, sort of your organization's mission crowds out other organizations missions that what you're doing is 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 very important and needs to continue and you you need to have the power to do the to do this the way you've been doing it and and so it becomes very difficult to get sort of it's very easy to get rules written that that increase you know restrictions and very difficult to get rules written that that decrease distortion because there's a there's a there's a mentality and, and and it's you know understandable that this is well. No, I don't want to take my finger off this because if I do that, then something bad might happen. And so, so I, I, I'm concerned that we're getting ourselves into into a situation where we're going to we're we're going to increasingly, and with no easy way out, um, be stuck living in you know small apartments and 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 driving in a lot of traffic. And there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it in a place with the geography of Colorado, especially spreading out to the east, for us to have to live that way. 
Yeah, there. I mean, there are good people over there at the department. I've, I've talked to many of them. There's good engineers, they're good project managers. Um, it's just that, that I think their their hands are tied in some respects, just because of the way the policymakers are pushing the organization in a certain direction. Yeah. No. I mean, they got. Listen, it's not the engineer's fault. I mean, it's not. The, it's not the guy who's. You know, if, if somebody if somebody goes to the project manager and says, "Here's how we're going to do I twenty five and say, okay, this is, you know, it's your job to, to manage this. It's not their fault. They didn't, they didn't decide how this was going to be laid out, but, but it still rankles me and should rankle everyone to drive down I-25, realizing that your tax dollars paid for an extra lane and you suffered through a couple of years of dislocation for an extra lane that you now have to pay again in order to use. How do people get a hold of you if you if you want them to get a hold of you? <laughs> After this, this yeah. may be that may be an open question. Uh, um, they can they can reach me at uh, they can reach me at uh, uh, J Sharf J S is in Sam H A R F at jsharf.com that's my email address probably the best way to reach me perfect and a, and a guy with his own website has has got to be a <laughs> got to be an important person right well no just somebody <laughs> who got the domain early <laughs> <laughs> because there was a rush on them right yeah. well that, yeah no i mean, well, not, probably not on j sharf right but, uh, but yeah there you go well uh, joshua sharf senior fellow in fiscal policy at the independence institute you can read his article in complete colorado the description uh has the link to that uh to that article right here in this episode uh thank you so much for being here thanks for um uh, for doing this and i appreciate all your insights and your information and your candor Absolutely. It was, it was my pleasure. And, and people listen, come for the scintillating conversation, stay for the closing bumper music. <laughs> Which is on the way, right? <laughs> there we are. Perfect. And by the way, I checked again about the Kiwit Kramer talk when Joshua and I were talking about the Central I-70 project. I am correct that Kiwit is doing the Central I-70 project. He was thinking about the company Kramer North America. It's 51% owned by a Japanese company. And Kramer, by the way, was just picked by our Department of Transportation to do that $700 million I-70 Floyd Hill project we talked about as well, just west of Denver. So uh, they're very involved with uh, large projects with CDOT. And and they also are just finishing up the large gap project uh, south of Denver along I-25. Kiwit, that construction company, is based in Omaha. Now, do I think anything will change over at the Department of Transportation here in Colorado? No. Not as long as we have the current governor and the current executive director and the current members in the Colorado or the uh, Transportation Commission. I'm actually surprised, stunned really, that when Pete Buttigieg, he's the US Transportation Secretary, he was um, when he was selected as Transportation Transportation Secretary, that he didn't bring Shoshana along with him back to Washington. Um, because it seemed like it, that that was her ultimate goal, is to be here for a couple of years in Colorado, get a couple of years of executive director under her belt, and then get back to Washington. Um, but it's still early in the Biden administration. He's only been president for a year, so it's still possible for her to go to Washington. And uh, then who would Governor Polis replace her with? Uh, hopefully somebody more qualified, somebody that knows transportation, maybe somebody from the engineering ranks of the department. 
that knows how to engineer roadways and bridges and and what all that entails. But this director position is more now political, changing the agency into a certain direction politically rather than just handling the transportation needs overall for the state. So that's that's how they want it to go, and that's how it's going. Um, it, I know it's not going to be me. <laughs> I know, I care. That that's a guarantee. You, 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 I'll give you a million to one odds that it would be me as uh, as as the executive director of the Department of Transportation. I think I'm somewhat. Well, maybe I guess it's arguable if I'm qualified or not. I would like to think I'm somewhat qualified. Uh, you know, covering transportation, knowing transportation in this state for uh, 25 or plus years. So. I think I, I would I would be a pretty good executive director, and I would make the state agency the best in the country. Um, but I, I have different, uh, I, I guess, uh, philosophies when it comes to transportation than the current administration. So there's your million to one odds that I would ever become the transportation executive director for uh, for Colorado. Um, yeah, anyway, don't hold your breath on, on that one or somebody coming from the engineering ranks uh, if to be the next one, if, if that ever happens. Anyway, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about that interview or uh, this topic in general or any topic, uh, you, of course, you have the phone number 303-832-0217. You can always contact me uh, by any of the contact links in the description of the show. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And I am Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and, as always, happy motoring.